Well, this week was a long week for our family as well, and I also want to say thank you to many of you who have been praying for our family with the loss of my wife's grandmother, cards of encouragement. It was an amazing day, her funeral, to be there and see how many people gave testimony of them coming to faith because of Anne's grandmother. She had a love for the Lord, and she had a desire for people to know him personally. And as I prepared for this week, I thought, well, in three short weeks will be Easter when we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as our text this morning, please turn to John chapter 12, and I've entitled this morning's message, Reactions to His Revelation. Reactions to his re- We all have reactions when something is revealed to us, especially something new or, or surprising. I can't help but remember, it was eight years ago that I had walked down the steps heading to work, just walked outside my door, and my wife Ann called to me coming down the steps, so I stopped and I turned back and got into the doorway, and the look on her face... And my powers of observation with the tears, I knew that something wasn't quite right. And, you know, it was probably a matter of two seconds. But in those two seconds, amazing thoughts go through your mind. Somebody called, somebody died, one of the kids are hurt, something happened. And she looks at me and she says, I'm pregnant. (laughs) And my reaction was, wow. How did that, why did that happen? (laughs) And then as we shared it with our kids, they sat there and went, wow. And family members. Everybody has a unique reaction. Belief, disbelief, amazement. Well, today we're going to take a look at some reactions to Jesus and what he revealed. Read with me, if you will. I'm going to back up to John 11, starting in verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the festival at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away believing in Jesus. See, Jesus, just a few weeks before this, is the account of getting word that Lazarus was sick, and he delayed for his purposes, for God to get glory. And he arrives at Bethany, where Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Martha and Mary come to him, oh, if you had only been here. And when Mary's there, he tells Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you die, you will live. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead, proving his power over death and that he is the resurrection. Well, this notion of being the resurrection and the life and that it takes belief in him to live caused many reactions. And we're going to look at four different reactions that we find in the text here today. The first reaction is the reaction of a true believer. A second reaction will be the reaction of a hypocritical follower. The third reaction is that of the curious seeker. And then the fourth reaction is that of the self-serving unbeliever. But first, let's look at the setting here, as we'll find in the first two verses of chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Well, we know that Jesus dined in a home in Bethany. We find out from Matthew and Mark that this was Simon the leper's house, somebody that he had probably cured from leprosy, as a, a leper could not be in the midst, but they still referred to him as that, as, as the sign of what Jesus had done. And Martha's there, and Lazarus, alive and well, and the disciples. And they're all gathering there at this place in Bethany. Now, Bethany is a very important place in the life of Christ. It shows up many times. Bethany was uh, on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, down in the plateau, just two miles away from Jerusalem, about an hour's walk to get from there to Jerusalem. It was in the bottom side of the of Mount of Olives, so you couldn't see Jerusalem, so it had that feel of seclusion and quiet away from the busy city. But of course, it was also the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, good friends of Jesus, whom he stayed at their house many times. We find three different major events 
here at Bethany. It was the main road that would go from east to west that Rome built that kind of went from Jericho over to Jerusalem. And the three main events that happened here in Bethany mentioned, first of all, we briefly talked about Lazarus being raised from the dead. That happened at Bethany. Major point of something that happened in Bethany. The second one is here in this text, which is where Mary is going to anoint Jesus in preparation for his burial that is to come. But there's a third event that happened in Bethany that I think is worth mentioning. And that happens after Christ is resurrected. It's actually when he's giving his final instructions to the disciples. The end of Luke, we find that he went out with them as far as Bethany. And it's there, the Mount of Olives, eastern side, that he ascended to heaven. So Bethany plays an important part on the ministry of Christ. And we're going to concentrate, of course, on this one. And it says that it was six days before Passover. Now, we just read that the Pharisees and the chief priests are now planning diligently to put Christ to death and how they can have him arrested. And if you know about where he's at, you need to tell us so he can be arrested. So that created quite a stir in Jerusalem. They're all talking about it. Did you hear what they want to do? Do you, do you think he's going to show up? Oh, he's not going to show up. They'll get, what do you think? I don't know. He's not afraid of this. There is a buzz. Well, Christ more than likely came from Jericho to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jericho is where we find him in Luke, where he was uh, dining with Zacchaeus. And then after that, a caravan would have been heading into Jerusalem because of the Passover. And as he's traveling with them, they get to Bethany. And he's going to stop off at his friend's house. And the caravan, many of them would continue on while he stays there to enjoy time with his friends. Of course, Jesus knows what's about to happen. And this is his last chance to enjoy time with his beloved friends before he heads in for the Passover for the final time. But many of the caravan, well, they would have went on into Jerusalem. And guess what they're going to say? Jesus is coming. Did you know he's over there in Bethany right now? Well, many of them, as the word spreads through Jerusalem, they decide to go out and see him. So they take that one-hour walk, that two-mile walk, to see Jesus, which we'll find out here in a little bit. See, Jesus was six days away from becoming the Passover lamb. Jesus was six days away from taking on the sin of the world and providing salvation. Can you imagine the weight of that burden? Jesus was fully God. He knew what was happening and he was capable, but he was fully man as well. And I'm sure that laid heavy on him. What joy I'm sure he had in being able to be with his friends at this time. Well, the first reaction that we're going to look at in the story is in verse 3. And that is the reaction of a true believer. Mary here is going to represent the true believer. In verse 3 it says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What an expression of love that she showed 
to Christ. What she did for him there was purely heartfelt expression of love. And there's three points about this I want to bring up. First, she had a repentant love. You know, we all need to repent of our sins. We all need Christ's love and forgiveness. She was no different. Matter of fact, we know just a few verses ago, a few weeks ago, when Lazarus died and Jesus comes, what does she say? If you'd only been here. If you'd only done what I think you should have done, Lazarus would still be alive. But God had a different plan. And his timing is perfect. How many times do we do that? God, this is what I want you to do. I know what's best. Do it this way, God. God, why aren't you doing it this way? Our faith needs to grow to trust God that his plan is best and his ways are best. Mary got to see Lazarus raised from the dead after four days. Her faith obviously got quickly grown in Christ and he showed her that he is the resurrection and the life. Job, he didn't know why all the bad things happened to him until he got to heaven. Sometimes we will know why things are happening and we'll understand in God's timing. Sometimes we don't know. But our faith needs to grow. And our trust in God that He has a plan and a purpose for what He's doing is beyond anything that we can understand. We need to have a repentant love that believes in God with all of our heart. Psalm 119 said... 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek them with their whole heart. Mary's an example of seeking God with her whole heart. She had that love that she showed to him. She also expressed it through a sacrificial love. It was costly. This perfume was worth a lot. Can you imagine this picture with me? This bottle in a flask of perfume, of, anoint, of ointment, costs a year's wages. Think about how much you make in a year. And then you buy a bottle of perfume that costs that much. What are you going to do with that? You're going to be like Mary? She didn't carefully take off the top and just use a little bit. She broke the top. She pours it, as we find from Matthew and Mark, not only on his feet, but also on his head. And it comes down. And then she pours it out on his feet. She had no intention of sparing any of it. She used all of it. She gave it all to God. So much so that his feet were soaked. So she lets down her hair and she dries his feet. Now the disciples are all there. So you have the 12 disciples. You have Simon. There you have Lazarus, alive and well, there. There's at least 14 guys sitting around the table. And can you imagine the stillness and the quietness that takes place at that moment when she starts pouring that out and the aroma then just fills the house? Wow. What she just did. Now, she wasn't being a poor steward. 
Could she have sold this and given it to the poor as, as Judas uh, proclaims? Sure, there would have been nothing wrong for that. But was it wrong for her to do what she did? No, because she was doing it and giving it to God. For God to use for His glory. Some commentaries suggest that she was very discerning and a very good listener and that she understood his teachings about his coming death and that she knew what was going on with the Pharisees wanting to put him to death and she figured this was the last time so she intentionally anointed him in preparation for burial. In Matthew's account, he says leave her alone because she did this to prepare me for burial. Other commentaries will say that That wasn't the case, but that she recognized the burden that he was under, the stress of the ministry. She didn't know exactly what was happening, but she wanted to encourage him. She wanted to minister to him. And this was a way, an act of showing him love. Either way, it doesn't matter. She gave what she had to God for God to get the glory. And God used it for his glory. That's the point of what Mary did in sacrificing. Do we give our best to Jesus? Here in America, we're very inundated with selfishness. That it's me first. That these are my things. Are we willing to give all to God? A great reaction of a true believer of her sacrificial love. But she also, thirdly, expresses a believer's love, a believing love. She honored Jesus as the Christ, as the anointed one of God. He was her Savior. He was her Lord. He was her King. He had done so much for her and her family that she wanted to show him her appreciation and her love. What do we do to show our love and our faith to Christ? You know, I think of how difficult it probably was for Mary in that setting. To do what she did in the presence of all those men sitting there. To let her hair down and wipe his feet. Setting aside her pride setting aside any embarrassment that she might feel from that setting to demonstrate her love and her faith to Jesus. How far are we willing to go to show our love and our faith? She gave it all and she was unashamed to do for Christ. Well, I want to note two quick ways that she demonstrated her love and faith that we can try to apply to our lives. She gave her most precious possession to God. She didn't hold anything back. Are we willing to give whatever God asks of us? Are you willing to give God your most precious possession? Whatever that might be? Or do you hold on tightly? You see, this is temporary. Heaven is forever. We need to make sure our focus is where it needs to be. And if God asks, are we willing?
Does our love for God abound so much that it overflows and that whatever we have belongs to Him and that we share it openly? Or are we more worried about our possessions than we are about our love with Christ? Well, she demonstrated that love. I think she understood Matthew six twenty. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Keep your eyes up towards heaven. She also publicly demonstrated her love and faith. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Despite any embarrassment, despite any pride that she had in front of all those men, she was going to love her Lord. That is something that we need to make sure that we are never embarrassed about being Christians. That we're never embarrassed about following what God's Word says. Our world tells us to be quiet. Be accepting and tolerant of different things. We need to love people, but we need to stand on God's word. We need to not be ashamed to bow your head and pray in public. We need to not be afraid to share Christ with somebody who needs to know. It can be hard, but if we love God, To this extent, we will want people to know. We need to die out to self and do what God wants us to do. I must decrease so he can increase. And it's got to be about God, not about us. So she demonstrated her love publicly and giving costfully. Are we willing to give no matter what the cost, no matter what others might think? Well, Mary represents the reaction of the true believer. And now we're going to look at the reaction of a hypocritical follower. Verses 4 through 8. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Well, of course, we all know Judas Iscariot as the traitor. We don't think highly of Judas. But there are some character traits here that we should take note of. Character traits that is often the case of the hypocrite, which we want to make sure that we do not become. See, first trait I see here is that he followed Jesus, but he criticized other believers. Even those with great devotion and love for God. Even those who had that repentant love. See, Judas quickly looked at what was wrong instead of 
what was right and what was good. I struggle with this. It's easy for me to see how things could be done different and see the wrong. Well, if you go down the street and you make a left, you'll get there a lot quicker than if you go to the right, go up the block, around, over, and back. Come on. My way is the right way. All you had to do was make that turn. Well, you know, maybe God had a plan for the long journey. And maybe God is working in their life to bring them closer to Him in some other way. Did they get to where they needed to be? Hopefully. Maybe they got lost and God's using that too. But we all have to be careful about judging others, being critical. Now that doesn't mean that people can do things wrong and they need us to come alongside and encourage them and help them to do it right. But that's not the same as being critical. That's not the same as looking at the wrong. You know, I also see in the story here where Judas speaks up. And then in the other accounts of Matthew and Mark, we also hear that the other disciples then kind of, oh, yeah, yeah. And he says, why couldn't that have been sold? Yeah, yeah, that should have probably been sold. Yeah. People kind of get that flow going, don't they? When we hear somebody starting to criticize, something clicks and we think, well, yeah, that could be. Well, why didn't they? And things go wrong direction. We each have to check our hearts and our motives and be careful of our words and our criticalness towards others. Are you known to be critical of other believers? Are you known to be an encourager to other believers? We're called to be encouragers. See, what matters is how Christ evaluates and thinks of you or the person, not what we think of them. If somebody can stand before God with pure heart, they'll be judged accordingly. That which is done in secret will also be revealed. Nothing's hidden from God. And we can leave that to God. But what are we called to do? To encourage, to build up, to edify. That's what we need to make sure that we're doing. We need to check our hearts Check our motives. Think about why we're doing what we're doing. Are we encouraging and, and, and heading things in a good direction? Or are we just looking for the wrong? Critical of other believers. Mark says in his account that he was indignant. He was, he was growling. He was scolding her. And Jesus rebukes him pretty careful. I think this is an area we need to be careful of how critical we are of one another and what we do. Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Let's make sure that we are helping one another, coming alongside one another, encouraging one another trying not to criticize one another. A second point here on Judas is he expressed concern for the ministry, but he had an ulterior motive. Yeah, he wanted that expensive perfume, but not for the poor, 
because he held the money bags and he was a thief. And he wanted to get his hands on some of it. So while he said what could have been a right thing, his heart motive was certainly not right. Often hypocrites are about self-gain. And their ulterior motives to their actions are there. Ulterior motives such as looking to get social acceptance. We want to be liked. So we're willing to tear somebody else down to make us look better. So that we can feel better about who we are. Or to get honor for ourselves in some way. Or to gain some kind of credit that maybe we can use later. Or to get power or control. Or of course for some type of profit. Don't be like those Pharisees, those hypocrites. In Matthew 23, 28, that says, So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It is a matter of the heart. And the third character that I see here with Judas is that he worked for Jesus, but he did not love Jesus. And Jesus rebuked him. Leave her alone. See, Judas didn't understand why Mary would do this. Because Mary loved God. Judas didn't love God. People who do not love God do not understand the actions of Christians. They get repulsed by it. They think it's a crutch. They think that you're weak. Because they don't understand that love for God. She poured out all that she had to God. He did not. He took what he could take from God. He did not love God. You know, we need people to work in our church. We have Sunday school needs. We have junior church needs. We have all kinds of ministries. But we need you to do it because you love God. Not because we have a need. Now, I don't want you to stop. I just want you to love God. Okay? I'm not trying to lose workers. But you know what? If you don't love God, if that's not your motive, I do want you to stop. Because that's wrong. And that's not the church we are. And that's not the church I've seen. And I love Fellowship Bible Church because how you love one another. Jesus said... They will know you're my disciples by your love. And when we demonstrate that love towards one another, because of our love for God, God does wonderful things. And we just need to constantly be making sure that we are doing what we're doing because we love God. Sometimes we do what we do because it needs done, but do what needs done because you love God. There's ways that you can serve. There's ways you can serve outside the church. There's ways you can serve inside the church. God has blessed you with talents. God has put this church together with the people that's here for His glory and His purpose. We'd love to see you involved. But we want to make sure it's because you love God. And that's why we want you involved. So Judas had these character traits of a hypocrite. Let's be careful that we are not found as hypocrites. Mary was there. Judas was there. 
Mary anointed Jesus with her ointments in preparation for his death as God used it, as a witness to his death to come. We are to be witnesses of his death that has happened as the fact that he died on the cross and paid the penalty for sins. We need to introduce people to Jesus because when people meet Jesus, it demands a response. And that's between God and them. But our job is to introduce them to Jesus. That's what we should be thinking about. How much did God love you to forgive you? Do you ever really stop and think about that? Nobody knows you like you know you. Right? Nobody knows your thoughts, your actions, like you do, except God. And He loved you anyway. And He forgave you anyway. He's an amazing God. And as you think about what He did for you and that love that He poured out onto you, that should well up in us and our love to Him because He first loved us should just flow out. And that should be what drives the things that we do. Our love for God and to witness to those who need to hear. See, Mary saw the opportune time. Whether it was because she discerned what was coming, whether it was because she saw the weight of what was going on and she just wanted to minister to him. He was in the home. She was there. She had the ointment. It was her opportunity. And she acted on the opportunity that God had presented to her. And God used that for his glory. We need to be looking for opportunities to show our love for God to other people. See, Jesus told us that these opportunities, they come and go. Some ministries to the poor, they're always there, but I'm only here for a short while. You're able to minister to me only for a little bit. What she was doing was right because she was ministering to God. Do you look for opportunities? Do you look for opportunities at work to share the gospel with somebody? To enter into a conversation, to build a relationship Do you look for opportunities to invite people to church? Do you look for opportunities to use the skills and the abilities that God has blessed you with to use them for His glory, to give what you have fully to God? Ephesians 5.16 says, Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So Mary was the true believer. Judas represents our hypocritical Follower, And the third reaction is the reaction of the curious seekers. There's three points here under curious seekers. We have those who come and see. Why did they come? In verse 9 it says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Something was happening. It was exciting. They wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to see what this was all about. When God is working, something is unique. And people come and see. We want people to come and see, don't we? We encourage people to come and see. Why? 
so they can meet Jesus and then they'll be confronted with a decision. Those who come and see, we encourage that. The second thing is to see the spectacle, or to see the spectacular, excuse me. Lazarus, not only for Jesus, Lazarus, he was dead, he's alive. I gotta see that. Is he gonna look different? Is he the same? Is he a ghost? Can I see through him? Can I touch him? They were excited to check this out. And I gotta be honest, if I heard of a dead guy that raised him was a couple miles away, I'd probably want to go check it out too. Why did God do that? John tells us they were signs. He wasn't there to entertain them. He was there to show his deity that he was the Christ so that they might believe. Some people come for entertainment. Let's introduce them to Jesus. Some people come to see the spectacle, to see what's going on. Let's introduce them to Jesus. You know, Easter, three weeks away, Christmas, those two times are typically times where you'll have people that never come to church any other time. Right? Why will they do that? Well, our third point under the curious seeker is that the crowd came because it was the social event. It was the thing to do. Easter and Christmas, it's the thing to do. You go to church. Invite people to come Easter. We want that. But they come just because it's the thing to do. They want to be part of the social. But you know what happened when they came? And they saw Lazarus and they heard Jesus? Many of them believed. How awesome is that? The curious seekers came. They had to decide. Some believed. Some didn't. Some stayed. Some ran back to tell the Pharisees what was going on. Jesus wasn't afraid of that. Jesus wanted them to come. Invite people to come for Easter. Maybe they won't come any other time, but let's let them hear the gospel. But invite them other times too. The reaction of the curious seekers. Then, we have the reaction of the self-serving unbelievers. Verses 10 and 11. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they were upset with Jesus. Their followers were leaving them, not doing what they were telling them they needed to do. They were following God. And then this Lazarus, he's the... He's the evidence of Jesus' ministry. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Let's go kill him. You see, when they can't get to God, they want to destroy the ministry of God. If you're working for God with your whole heart and things are happening, God is using what you're doing, expect resistance to come. Satan doesn't want to see God's work going forward. So what's he? He can't defeat God. But maybe I can bring down that ministry. If your ministry is being attacked, stand strong and take some joy in it because there must be a reason. 
If you're allowing God to be the one to lead, and you're following God, you can also be sure that His plans cannot be stopped. Continue to work with all your soul, with all your heart, for God. Expect the resistance. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be times where people say things that they shouldn't say. There's going to be times when somebody that you respected, looked up to, fails. Don't let that take away from the ministry of what God is doing. Be a part of the ministry of God. And you will be amazed at the things that God will do. When you give him your repentant love. When you give him your sacrificial love. When you give him a believer's love. Well, these self-serving unbelievers wanted to attack the ministry. We have no record of them ever getting to Lazarus. But they make their plans. And they thought they got Jesus. But you see, he is the resurrection and the life. He conquered death. And if you believe in him, though you die, you will live. Many were coming to faith, listening to Christ, following his plans. You know, when Jesus said those words to Mary... After he followed up with, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you die, you will live. He said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was a real person? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins? Do you believe that three days later he rose from the dead and provided the means for your sins to be forgiven? Do you believe that you have asked Jesus Christ to forgive you because of what he did? And God forgave you because of Christ's blood on the cross. Do you truly believe that? If you do, the love of God inside of you should be welling up to where you can't contain it. And that you need to share it. And that you want to share it. We need our hearts to be tender towards God's word. We hear God's word a lot. We're blessed. Sometimes we hear it so much, we get a little callous. Don't get callous to God's word. Think about what he did for you. Mary wanted to express her love for God because of what he did for her and her family. What has God done for you and your family? I know what he's done for me. We need to have the believer's love. We need to have a repentant heart. Because we will fail. But God is there to forgive. We need to give sacrificially. Hold on loosely to the things here. Use them for God's glory. We need to have a believer's love. Not be the hypocrite, as Judas showed Not be sitting on the sidelines, being a curious seeker. We need to certainly not be the unbeliever 
who cannot understand the love that you show to God. I want to encourage you this morning to evaluate your hearts and your love for God. Make sure that you're not being critical of others, and that you're trying to encourage and looking for ways to share, and that you are giving all of your best, not just some, but releasing it all to God. It takes work, it takes effort, it takes faith. Allow your faith to grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and your word. Thank you for the Passover. Christ giving himself, dying on the cross, shedding his blood for our sins. Father, help us to do our part in your plan to bring people to meet Jesus. Help us evaluate our hearts and our motives to keep them pure before you. To give you all that we have. Without you, we would have nothing. Thank you for your love. Help us to share that love with others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>